Well, good morning, Oakwood family. So glad you're here today, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are here, and thank you on your special day for making it a priority to be in church, and hopefully you got some family with you this morning, and just want to say it's a great time to be a part of God's family. Now, as you saw in the video just a second ago, we are in a series, have been in a series for several weeks now since Easter called Scandals. And what we're doing in this series is that we're taking stories from the Bible and looking at them as if they were coming into today. And what I've done is kind of taken some stories that might, might make headlines in the paper. Um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know some of those headlines. You know, you're like, wow, I would pick up the paper, I would go through the news feed on my phone, and I would look at that and be like, whoa, there's some stuff that's happening going on. And it might spark some interest in you about what is going on in the world. It might be something that's a little bit controversial, a little bit on the edge that would make you want to pick it up and read it. And we're looking at several uh, stories from the Bible that, that, are, that are doing that. Now, here in this series, the goal of this is that it would challenge our perspective. It would challenge our perspective on who God is, on what he's about, but it would also grow us in our faith in him. That it would challenge our perspective of him, but it would also grow us in our faith in, in him, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of the goal. And today's headline is this, okay? Man publicly calls out religious types. Man publicly calls out religious types. Now, if you read that headline, you might go, eh, but if you're a Christian, you might be like, what? Who's, he, who's the man and who is he calling out? Well, let me, let me go over you back to 2,000 years ago in the Jerusalem times, right? Okay? This would be Jesus calling out the religious leaders. Jesus actually calls them out. He does this in a passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. So I invite you to turn there if you brought your Bible this morning, Matthew chapter 23. If you want to grab the Bible, there should be one in the seat there around you. But as always, you are welcome to use one of these if you have your phone or a tablet. Uh, just download the Oakwood app. And right when you open up to the front page of the app, there's sermon notes, and in the sermon notes is all the scripture and bullet points and everything. Uh, we just really want you to engage the word of God. Allow this word that is living and active to speak into your hearts, to speak into your minds this morning. Allow the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to do some work in us to change us and mold us into who he wants us to be, fully devoted to him. And so let's get into this this morning, and I want to give you a little bit of background before we actually read the, read the passage in Matthew chapter 23. So a little bit of background. So this is, uh, Matthew 23 is the last public sermon or, or kind of teaching that Jesus does. And so this is one of those things that this is kind of like the final parting statements to the public, to where it's like a lot of people. The rest of what Jesus is going to share is only going to be with his disciples and his closest, most intimate followers and friends. If you go back a couple chapters into Matthew uh, chapter 21, uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and you might remember the story that he cleanses the temple. Uh, you might remember that story as he's coming into Holy Week and he's coming into Jerusalem and they've done Hosanna and all that stuff. He comes in, he cleanses the temple because they've made, made it into a mess and they're, they're selling things they shouldn't be selling and they're trying to, to profit off of things. And if you remember the story, Jesus braids a whip and he starts like wrapping around table legs and turning tables over. And needless to say, Jesus was a bit miffed, but he was a bit miffed for all the right reasons. It was a righteous indignation, a righteous anger that he had because of what they had done to the Lord's house. And they weren't focused on God. They were focused on a whole bunch of other things. 
And then after that, we get to chapter uh, 22, the chapter right before this one. And Jesus is kind of going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders. Now, he's trying to do some teaching, and he's just trying to talk to the crowds. And what happens here is that uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the religious elitists and leaders of the Sanhedrin are coming, and they're trying to catch Jesus. They're actually trying to trip him up on his words. They're trying to make him look bad. They're trying to trap him in what he's teaching and what he's saying, and they kind of get into these little theological debates with Jesus. So here's, here's a, just a note to self. If you're going to have a theological debate, don't have it with the Son of God, okay? Just not, it's not good. That's something you're not going to win. I read chapter 22 and I just laugh because well, one of the things that happens in there at the end of 22 is they come to Jesus and they say, oh, who, what, do you, what do you think the greatest commandment is? We'll see if we can get him on this one. You know, he's going to say the wrong one. And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second greatest commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this, this statement. He says, All of the law and the prophets are summarized in these two commands. And it's just like, mic drop, he's done. He, you know, walks off. I mean, it's just amazing. And and if you are the keepers of the law and the teachers of the law and the elitists in the law, and Jesus says, all of the laws that you're trying to keep, all 712 of them, uh, they can be summarized in two things. Love the Lord your God, there's heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think about it, we've talked about this before, and we've taught on the Ten Commandments. You know, if you look at some of the Ten Commandments, all of them fall into these two categories. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you what? You don't use his name in vain. You'll keep his Sabbath day holy. Why? Because you love him. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't do what? You won't lie to your neighbor. You won't covet your neighbor's possessions. You won't steal from them. You won't commit adultery with their spouse. And so really all of the law and the prophets are summarized in this. And Jesus as the son of God, he gives us this statement and it's just like the Sadducees, the Pharisees are just probably shaking their heads like, that was really dumb. We should not. Of course he's going to answer it. He's going to answer it better than we could. And then he's going to summarize the entire law that we're trying to keep, you know, into these two statements about loving God and loving our neighbor. And oh my goodness. And so It's on the heels of that that we get here to chapter 23, Jesus' last public sermon, if you will. And you think if it's Jesus' last time to address the crowds out in the public eye, I don't know about you, but I, what I was thinking it was, you know, he's gonna be, it's going to be about salvation. You know, this is, this is going to be a sermon about the love of God. Um, this is going to be a, a, a message where he's trying to tell the world, hey, live these lives in the Lord that are grace-filled. And it's going to be about forgiveness of sins. It's, you know, I mean, you're thinking about all these, it's going to be about the kingdom of God, right? If that's the message, it's going to be about the kingdom of God. But actually, it's not about salvation. Well, in a roundabout way. It's not really about the kingdom of God. It's not even about his resurrection, as you know what happens in the, the back end of Holy Week. No, he doesn't really talk about any of these things. His last public proclamations, he talks to the religious people. He, he calls out the religious types. He calls specifically out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, and he tells them, you better get real or else. We're going to encounter a word here in the text today where Jesus actually calls these people hypocrites. That's one of those words that we know in the church world, but maybe we don't like, kind of makes us uncomfortable. And a lot of us have a preconceived notion of what 
a hypocrite is. I want us to understand that before we get into the text this morning. When I say the word hypocrite, a lot of times what that stirs in you is you would be a person that would say, you know, a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another. Like, you know, they have like duplicity in their life. It's like, oh yeah, you know, the, the sky is blue, but I'm going to call it red today. And so it, it, they, they just don't match up. And that's what a lot of us think about when we think about a hypocrite or someone who's walking out hypocrisy in their life, is that they say one thing, they do something else. Now, if you actually went back to the word in the original uh, language that it's written in in the Bible, and you went back to the Greek, and, and you looked at that word for hypocrisy, you would find out that it actually means an actor. It's actually, it literally means an actor that plays a whole bunch of different roles. And how it worked in the Greek theater is they would actually have masks. And so an actor would come out and and, and do this hypocrisy, um, a hypocrite. He was a hypocrite because he would say a line with one mask and then he'd go over here and play another character and put on a different mask and then come over here and play another part. And so it was really this idea of kind of uh, playing and pretending to be different parts, maybe pretending to be something that you're not might be a better understanding of the word hypocrisy. So to, to, to think about that, to illustrate that, I was thinking about the Brady Bunch, you know, and I may have just totally dated myself there. Has anyone heard of the Brady Bunch? Anybody? Okay, just a few of you. Okay, well, if you don't know the Brady Bunch, just so you understand the context of it, um, it's a story of a lovely lady who is bringing up three very lovely girls, and all of them had hair of gold like their mother. The youngest one had curls. It's a story of a man named Brady who is bringing up three boys of his own, there were four men living all together, but they were all alone. And until the one day when this lady met this fellow, and they knew it was much more than a hunch that this crew must somehow form a family, and they became the Brady Bunch. So if you didn't know the story, <laughs> you didn't know the story. Okay, a few of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is what it would be like to be a hypocrite in the Brady Bunch family. It's like you play all the parts yourself. You know, you're Marsha, 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 and then you're Greg and Peter and Bobby and Cindy and Jan, and you would put on a mask and you would play all of the parts yourself. Now, we used to sit there and laugh about this and think, yeah, that's really funny, and it is, it is kind of funny, and especially in the Brady Bunch context it is, but it's really, it's really sad if this is how you live your Christian life. It's really sad if this defines your religion. And this is exactly what Jesus is speaking to in our text today. He's telling the religious types to quit dressing up, quit masking up, quit pretending to be something that you're not because you're trying to look good on the outside. But all that my heavenly father is concerned about is on the inside. So let's read the text. Um, Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 1, says this. And I'll be reading with some tempo this morning. So uh, first service told me I was reading fast, so that's, that's by design. So uh, 23 verse 1, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, which is like the seat of judgment. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Ooh. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels and their garments long. Now, let me explain some of this terminology because I know you probably don't know what a phylactery is, but a bunch of you probably do. But a phylactery was this wooden box, and part of Judaism was that they would put these boxes on a little headpiece and they put it on their forehead. 
okay? Because the law of the Lord was to be first, most best, and forefront of their minds, right? I mean, the scripture talks about that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so, so to illustrate that, if you were really holy and really religious and really like, ooh, um, you would have one of these phylacteries. And what he's saying here, what Jesus is saying is they would make their phylacteries large, you know, like really wide. So like everybody else would have a little phylactery to show that they were a pious Jew, not the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. No, they would do is they'd have a big one because they want everyone to see and they oh, look how holy. And what they would do is they would take scripture, they'd take the law and they would actually write it and put it in there, put it in the box. And it was so the law of the Lord could be at the forefront of your mind, literally. Um, we know it doesn't kind of absorb through osmosis, but but for illustrative purposes, that's what they did. And that's what Jesus is getting on to here is you're just trying to look good. And you, you, they wore these fancy robes and they had tassels. Well, some of them had extra long tassels because you would walk by and go, ooh, look at the phylactery on that one. And look at those tassels. I mean, and really, it was impressive. And people were like, wow, these people are really, really holy, really righteous, really religious Look at verse 6. Jesus goes on. He says, They love the place of honor at all the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be, you, but you are not to, to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. No, it's all of those are capitalized. And then Jesus says this in 11 and 12, The greatest among you will actually be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now to this point... I believe the context here is that Jesus is giving uh, this part of the thing. And if you read the first verse there, it says he was talking to the, to the crowds and to his disciples. But I think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the Sanhedrin, they were within earshot. It was kind of like, you know, he's maybe in, in a courtyard somewhere giving this speech. And they're just kind of sitting over there. But look what he does in verse 13 because it changes. In verse 13, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law. And Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater? He's saying, which is more valuable here? The gold or the temple that makes that gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men. Which is greater? The gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore... Anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint and your dill and your cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, 
You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and of self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First, clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, well, if I had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. In fact, Jesus is saying there, hey, go ahead and complete it and kill me. And in verse 33, he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? I think we've heard enough. A message of salvation or grace or mercy or love. And yet we find in these words, in this fiery message from Jesus, as he calls out the people. Think about it. When Jesus is wanting to call people out, does he go to the red light district to do it? No. Does he go to the taverns and the bars? Does he go to the place that people go and congregate and maybe look for sinfulness on the weekends? No. Where does he go? He goes to the church. He goes to the religious types. I want to unpack several things from the text uh, today that will just hopefully bring about just a deep understanding and message from the Lord. The first, first thing is this. Practice what you preach because hypocrisy negates evangelism. Practice what you preach. You've heard that line before. We throw that out a lot in life. You've heard, you know, well, man, that guy doesn't practice what he preaches. We actually get that from verse 3 in Matthew 23. It says, so you must be careful. This is Jesus telling the crowd and his disciples this. You must be careful to do everything they tell you. Because everything they tell you is from the law. Yeah, you should keep the law. You should do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up these heavy, cumbersome loads called the law and the extra law and their commentary on the law, and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move these burdens from the people. And Jesus begins by saying they don't practice what they preach. The hypocrisy in their life negates evangelism. DC Talk, in one of their songs years ago, said the single leading cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and they walk out the doors of the church and they deny him by their lifestyle. That is what the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable, is that Christians who love Jesus so much and appreciate the sacrifice of the life of the Son of God would actually go out and live like he doesn't even exist. Practice what you preach because hypocrisy negates evangelism. Sometimes I think the thing standing between someone making a decision for Christ is our lifestyle. That's what Jesus is calling these religious leaders out on. They're saying, you're doing everything right on the outside, but the inside, yeah, people see through it. Second thing this morning, 
The greatest among you will be your servant. It's pretty straightforward. In, in verses 11 and 12 of our text, Jesus just says, hey, the greatest among you is going to be your servant. He had just come off the text where he was talking about they love the place at the banquet table, sitting at the head of the table, and everybody serves them, loves them. Ooh, you religious leaders, you're so awesome. You're so holy. You're so... They just love that stuff. And he says, hey, the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself is going to be humble, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We're called to servant leadership in humility, and this is what Jesus Christ modeled for us. In the upper room, when he met with his disciples, he begins by washing their feet. That was normally something the servant did of the home, and here's the Son of God who's leading the meal, and he says, hey, wait a minute, I want to wash and touch everyone's dirty, grimy feet here. Allow me to be a humble servant and to serve, and he does that as an example to the disciples. And then we get to verse 13. Now, I don't know if you noticed this when we were uh, reading this, but in the first 12 verses, he's they, 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 they. And it's like I said earlier, it's almost like the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're there, but he's not like talking to them directly. They're kind of like over his shoulder. And Jesus is, is saying this so they could hear. And he talks about they do this and they do that. But then in verse 13, it switches. And now he says, woe to you. And he's talking to them directly. It's almost as if he was talking to this crowd. And then all of a sudden he turns to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and says, woe to you. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important that we understand what the term woe means. And when Jesus does this, it's called the, the section of the seven woes. And what does he mean, woe to you? What does he mean? That's not something we do or say today. That's not something in our culture like we go up to people and say, hey, woe to you. You know, it might mean something different, different today. But when Jesus was saying this, it was an expression of grief and an expression of an angry curse. And the expression of grief was like, woe to you because you're so lost and you don't get it. And he was grieving in his heart for the hearts of these religious types. But then on the other side of that, there was this righteous indignation and this anger. Did you get that from the text? <laughs> and it's this, it's this anger and it's almost like he, he is saying, you are cursed because of your sinfulness. You are cursed because of your hearts. You are cursed because of your attitudes toward the kingdom of God. And so he begins in verse 13 with the first woe. Here's the application from that. Woe to you if you make it hard for people to come to God. Woe to you if you make it harder for people to come to God. Let's read what it says there in 13 and 14. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter. Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. I mean, it's this referendum on, on what they thought religion was all about. Jesus turns it here and, and says, don't make it hard for people to come to God. Your hypocrisy and your fake belief and your, your, the, the motivation that keeps you in this place within yourself, your hypocrisy lived out keeps people from salvation. Your fake piety and your judgment. Because, see, they would go around and strut their stuff, right? They got their wide phylactery. They got the tassels. They're like, yeah, I'm holy. I'm righteous. Like, everybody should look at me and be like, oh, oh, yeah, wow. He's so religious and so holy. And, but you know what these guys did? 
They took God's law and they added their own stuff to it. They added it to the degree, to the nth degree. We'll talk about that in just a minute when we get to verse 15. But Jesus says, woe to you if you make it hard for people to come to God. The second, the second thing of the woes in, in number four today is, woe to you if you turn new converts toward legalism. Woe to you if you turn new converts toward legalism. Look what it says in verse 15. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, to convert them to Judaism. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Man, strong words. But you have to understand that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were supreme at this. They would make a convert, and then they would make them even more extreme than themselves. In other words, keep the Sabbath day holy. Okay, they would say, to keep the Sabbath day holy, you shouldn't work, right? It's supposed to be a day of rest. Okay, I, I, I get that from the text. I get that from the Lord's commands. Then they would say, okay, so if you walk more than 512 steps today, that is work. And so you can't, you know, and they would take the law and they make it, you know, they just make it harder and harder and harder for people to follow. And they'd be like, oh, I do. I just make sure I stay under 500. You know, I'm all pious. And, uh, you know, and they would, they, and, and so when they make converts, they got more and more extreme into this legalism, into in this following law and keeping everything. And they were going to make it even harder for people to come to the Lord or even to have faith in God. And it leads toward legalism. <laughs> A good example of this, think about it. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in the text later in the New Testament says what? He says, I'm the, I was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees before his Damascus experience where Jesus actually appears to Paul and he converts to Christianity. Do you remember the Apostle Paul sent from city to city to persecute Christians? Sometimes holding the coats while they were killed because of their Christian faith? Do you remember Paul? was extreme as a Pharisee. And that's what Jesus is speaking to here. And sometimes I think in Christianity, we even do this today. And Jesus would say, woe to you if you turn new converts toward legalism. Why? Because God is concerned about their heart. And the fifth thing this morning, woe to you who give deceptive promises to gain material riches. In this part, in verses 16 through 22, uh, it talks about swearing by the temple and swearing by the altar. You might remember that. What that means is it's like taking an oath. And almost like when you take the oath, it's like, I mean my oath. This is my word. And I mean it so much, I'm going to put collateral on it. Well, what they did is they tried to make it fashionable to do that with religious things like the temple, like the altar. But it wasn't really about that. It was the gold in the temple and whatever you would put on the altar to offer as sacrifice. You, you see, to understand this, what was actually going on here in these deceptive oaths, they were claiming that the objects of the temple or the altar and the things that were on the altar in the temple were actually more valuable than the temple and the altar themselves. The Pharisees, they wanted to keep the objects, the material possessions, they wanted to keep those when someone didn't keep their word. So if you came and you said, hey, I just want to swear by the temple's gold that I'm going to do this, and you didn't keep your word, the Pharisees would come to you and say, we need gold. We know you can give us the temple. That's what he said, the gold of the temple. 
And Jesus is speaking out against that right here. When they came to the altar and they said, okay, this is my best yearling, this is my, my fatted calf, you know, this is my, my best sheep, my best lamb, the, the one without blemish that I've been raising for a couple of years, this is my firstborn, this is the best. And they offer it on the altar and they say, oh, you didn't keep your word. I'll tell you what, we'll take that lamb and add it to our flock. Or they were deceptive with these taking of the oaths, these deceptive promises to gain material riches for themselves. And what does it really mean? They valued material possessions more than spiritual things. And Jesus says to them, woe, woe to you. The sixth thing this morning, woe to you if you miss what matters the most. Look at verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. Okay, they have these raised gardens, and they would, they would you know, plant their own food. And that's kind of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they lived off of these, these raised beds. And he says, hey, you give a tenth of your spices, you know, your row of mint. If there's ten plants there, you give one of them as a sacrifice to the Lord. Your dill, your cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And then Jesus says, you should have practiced the latter the mercy and the justice and the faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's not saying you shouldn't tithe and give 10% of your material possessions to the Lord. We know that's in there. We know the Lord wants that. We know that it shows that money doesn't have control in our lives, that we trust God more than we trust our, 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 our checkbooks and our checking account or our stock market portfolio. And so he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, if you'd read that in the Greek and you understand what this is, it's actually, um, it's a play on words that Jesus gives there. The word for gnat and camel are really, really close in the Greek. In fact, in fact, what it is, it's just like, there's just like a little bit of a, uh, there's like one syllable. It's like you add an A in the middle of the word. And so he's kind of saying this, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. And people would probably snicker when they heard it because it would be really considered funny. We lose that in the translation to English from gnat to camel. But Jesus is doing that on purpose. He's saying, if you had like a bowl of soup and you want to make sure nothing was in there, you might run the soup through a strainer and you would strain out a gnat to make sure there was no flies in your soup. But the whole time you'd be eating a camel. You know, and so people would laugh, and you know, obviously Jesus is being a little exaggeratory there, but he's making he's making a very valid point. And he's telling them, Woe to you if you miss what matters the most. Because you see, these Pharisees, they wanted to look good in practice, but they were terrible in actual pursuit of God. I wonder if we can relate to that as Christians today. We, we, we look good in certain areas of practice of our religion, but we're terrible in the pursuit of a relationship with Almighty God. You see, these religious leaders, they, they, were, they were walking it out, right? They were living their lives to the letter of the law, but they were missing the spirit of the law. They were following God in their minds for appearance purposes, but they missed the relationship with God in their heart. The last one this morning. Woe to you if you are spiritually fake. Woe are you if you're spiritually fake. And I might add to that because God knows everything about you. And he knows everything. 
He knows what you thought about this morning. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did this week. There's, there's nothing hidden from Almighty God. I think Christians sometimes today, maybe sometimes we don't look much different than the Pharisees of that time. And that sometimes we have a tendency to, to appear spiritually fake, to make some kind of a gain. When your spiritual life is motivated by the approval of others or what you look like to others, then you're going to have big time problems when no one is around. You look good on the outside and all the appearances are good, but your heart is not really for God. You might remember scripture that talks about that. It says they honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Titus 1.16 says they claim to know Christ, but by their actions, they deny him. And Proverbs 11.3 says it this way, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. It's exactly what Jesus is talking to them about here is quit faking it and quit acting like you're in the kingdom. Quit acting like, like, like you're religious and you have this relationship with God because your, religious, your religiousness is empty because your heart is far from him. And I wonder, bringing this 2,000 years ago into today, that if Jesus were to, to be here today, and he were to call out the religious today, what would he say? What, what, what might it sound like? If Jesus were to stand here this morning before you, I wonder if to us, he would say, woe to you. Woe to you, you hypocrites. If you think your mom and dad's decision to church you is somehow going to save you, woe to you. And, and woe to you if you think that going to church and putting a little bit in the offering and reciting a prayer before your meal or your bedtime is going to secure you and me, that works somehow save you. I think Jesus would say, woe, woe to you. Well, woe to you if you're here because it's your family's tradition or your school's expectation or your girlfriend's ultimatum or to keep your mom off your back because it's Mother's Day. I think Jesus would say, woe to you. And woe to you if you're here to be seen by other members of the church so you can appear spiritual to them, even though you're struggling because your marriage isn't together and your kids are a mess and your career is falling apart, but you've got to keep up this appearance of life as well and just live this little sinless life and everything's great and I'm so Christian. And I think Jesus would say, woe to you. And woe to you if you do all of the right things, but you don't do them because you love me. Woe to you. And woe to you if you have given me your words and your time and your behavior and maybe even a little bit of your money, but you've never given me your heart. 
then I think Jesus would say, woe to you. Woe to you. You you hypocrites that are just faking it and you have to come put on your church mask every Sunday to act a certain way and you go out and you live a completely different life the rest of the week. Woe, woe to you. But there's hope in Christ Jesus because of what he's done for us on the cross. In Galatians chapter two, verse 20, Paul says it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. In this life, I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you hear that? It is no longer we who live, but it is Christ and his spirit living in and through us. And guess what? There's no faking it. There's no faking if you thought, man, I've done a really good job. I look religious. I smell religious. People come into church, they think I love Jesus. But yeah, you're right. My heart is just not in it. I was just trying to keep my wife off my back this morning. I was trying to please other people. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden of expectations of other people, I will give you rest if you'll just give me your heart. Folks, that's what Jesus is about. That's what his ultimate message here in Matthew 23 is, is I want your heart. I don't want your religion. I don't want your piousness. I want you to act like you're spiritual and you're holy. I just want your heart to be mine. And when you make that choice and that decision, it'll change your life forever. And the scripture says you will walk out newness of life because of the redemption of your soul by the Son of God.